It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Uri here, and we have a reoccurring guest now, I guess we can say, David Esser of Section 215 of Cited, as well as the host of the podcast Bullpen Blues. David, welcome back, man. Glad to have you back again. Yeah, hey fellas, thanks for having me on again. Uh, you know, final stretch here with the Sixers season, so I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about the team a little bit here. Certainly, man, certainly. Uh, has everybody had a good week so far? It's Mother's Day, so we want to make sure. I hope you all uh, contacted, you know, either your mother or mother figures in your life today. Yeah, yeah, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, um, and, and I hope everyone here on the pod has had, had a good week as well. I certainly have. Uh, how's everyone feeling? Feeling good, guys. Happy Mother's Day to all mothers out there. And, and David, welcome to the podcast again, my friend. Yeah, we're really excited to have you back on, David. And we can just jump right in now. We're going to talk about the Sixers' most recent games. We're going to start with the win over Detroit on Saturday. That was a 118-104 to victory for Philadelphia. Some familiar faces in that game on the opposing side. Jaleel Okafor with 3,003 minutes. Um, and then Jeremy Grant had 14 points in 24 minutes, uh, but a pretty commanding win for Philadelphia. Another really strong Joel game, 29 points on 13 field goal attempts uh, in only 23 minutes. Just another remarkably efficient night from him. David, you first. What were some of your big takeaways? Yeah, um, and look, you know, end of the season, these games don't matter a whole lot. I know we're, I know we're pushing for the, uh, the number one seed. But, you know, I've been in and out in some of these final games watching when I can. But but this Pistons game, I think the one thing that really stuck out to me was uh, was Tyrese Maxey, right? I mean, he was incredible. And you've, you've seen a few of the veterans speak out and say that he might deserve some postseason minutes, which was something I don't think any of us expected two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, we're, we're right on the doorsteps of the playoffs. We might have an easier first round. And I think there might be an opportunity for Maxie to get some run. Because, like, look, we, we know what Embiid brings to the table. We know what Ben. We know what Danny and Seth do. We know what Tobias does. But, uh, yeah, Maxie, I thought 22 points. He looked fluid. He looked comfortable. His jump shots come a long ways. His, his development over these last couple of games is something I'm really, really interested in to see if it translates to just a little bit of a postseason action. You bring up some really good points about Maxi. I thought he was fantastic in that Detroit game. He didn't get to play in the next game that we're going to be talking about due to the jumbo size of the Pelicans. But focusing on this Detroit game, obviously Maxi was the bright spot here. He's hitting his jump shots. He's getting to his spots. He's orchestrating the offense better, in my opinion, as well. And he's, you know, competing on the defensive end. And I believe after the game, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but Doc Rivers said that him, he and the coaching staff challenged Maxi to improve on that side of the ball earlier in the season. And we can definitely see the, the strides thus far this year for sure. Some other notes that I had from the game I want to include 
is that uh, I hope, and I don't know if you guys saw the play, but Maxie got his hands stepped on, and I believe it was by Grant. Um, he was going for a loose ball, and he fell to the ground trying to get in. I believe it was Grant stepping on his hand by accident, but that that's not an injury that no anybody wants to see because, you know, those hands are golden on the defensive end. So hopefully uh, Matisse Leibel is fine there. Um the only other thing that I really want to make a note of is that Joel and Tobias came out early in the game and were aggressive, made that lead very easy to maintain to begin with. And I that's what the Sixers need is for those two to come out of the gates being aggressive, and it worked out very well for them in this game. For sure. I, I definitely think Maxi is probably the biggest takeaway from this game. Doc said afterwards that he's comfortable going 11 deep in the playoffs I don't know if I share that confidence um with him but it's certainly notable how well Maxi has performed really the past couple of weeks um he's had some pretty good moments and obviously this was one of his bigger breakout games along with that 39 point outburst in Denver early on um really efficient 7 of 11 from the field had that one just super cool dunk in transition and off the crossover, um, which was just a, a star caliber move, a ridiculous athletic feat for someone his size. Um, he he really has some special some special stuff, and he's going to be a, a really big part of this team's future. I, I think everyone's justifiably excited at this point, and I I don't know if he'll really play a big role in the playoffs I, I have my doubts this season but as far as next season and beyond I think he's going to be a pretty important part of this team can I I, I don't usually do this but I'm going to call out the Sixers fans here because there's no reason to boo Jaleel Okafor when he gets out onto the court I get that he didn't work out here but he had everything working against him when he got here so I I don't blame him for not working out here especially just the situation that he was coming into I don't think fans should have booed him that's just my personal opinion. Who don't have Philadelphia fans boo, though, when it comes to that type of stuff? I mean, I agree with you completely, but yeah, um, it seems like any ex-player, any former player, they always get a little bit of flack when, they, uh, when they're playing their old team. Yeah, I don't think it was particularly mean-spirited or anything. Obviously, Jaw had his share of issues here. Um, some of them were related to team and, you know, the construction of the team around him some of them were his own personal issues but yeah I don't think it was anything mean-spirited you know it's all in good fun it's a game so I'm not too worried about it we can move on to the Pelicans game now that one was a bit closer Philadelphia had a lead early in the game very nearly gave it away late some clutch shot making at the end from guys like Tobias Harris uh, saved the day Another good Joel game, 37-13 and 13 on 11-20 of 20 from the field. David, what were some of your big takeaways from that game? Yeah, and again, I think this is a situation where I don't know if I have any massive takeaways. I know a lot of people were quick to jump on that game to sleep. You know, they're, they're letting the Pelicans back in this one. They, they didn't show up. Obviously, uh, New Orleans was without Zion, so it was probably a game Philly should have comfortably won. Um, they didn't. They still won. I, I just don't think it matters. I think as long as they're continuing to get the result at the end of the day, whether it comes by a game-winning three in triple overtime or a 30-point blowout in uh, regular intermission, like I, I just don't know if it matters right now. I think you go get that number one seed. If you can rest Embiid, if you can rest Tobias, great. If not, it is what it is. It's a little extra reps before the playoffs. So my big takeaway from that game, 
was that they won. Um, and it brings them one step closer to uh, that, you know, that magical one seed where the entire postseason is going to have to go through Philadelphia, which we we haven't seen in quite some time, fellas. So that's that that's that's what I got my eyesight on. That, that's what I'm kind of glued to at the moment. As long as they're walking away with the W against teams like Detroit, against teams like New Orleans, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with whichever manner it happens. That valid point for sure, you know, David. And you know, I appreciate the idea. Yeah, at the end of the day, a win is a win. However, um, I do want to point out here, and this is, you know, this happened a lot under Brett Brown, but not so much under Doc Rivers. This is probably one of the few times this season they this they did, and they played down to the competition, and I don't think that they were thinking New Orleans was going to put up a fight, but a Stan Van Gundy team is going to do that. And also, I don't know what happened, but Jackson Hayes, he proved, games like this help prove his worth as a first-round pick, because for the most part, he hasn't really performed that well, granted quality depth ahead of him but this was a good Jackson Hayes game for him for the Pelicans perspective um I do I am a little concerned in terms of Joel B. he only had two points in that fourth quarter which is not ideal uh end of the day good Curry game not a great Ben game from scoring but you know he had nine rebounds 10 assists only two turnovers uh, Tobias was solid, though not nearly as aggressive as he was earlier this season. It's That's been a trend for the last month or so, and I think that's just with his knee, you know, trying to make sure that knee's right. Great George Hill game. Can't complain there. I mean, I mean, in terms of scoring, not so much in assists, but that's okay. Breaking news, Sixers fans. This public service announcement is brought to you by Manscaped.com. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped work with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure that your family jewels are as safe as possible. What makes this trimmer so different than other trimmers? First, a new multi-function on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. Next, the optimized Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Did I mention charging? The Lawnmower 4.0's new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's fansided20 at manscaped.com. And now, back to the podcast. I mean, I, I agree with both of you, David especially. I'm, I'm really not worried about this particular game at this particular junction in the season. Like, they've won eight straight. I, I agree that the Sixers have had a problem in the past of playing down to their competition, but I don't think that's a uniquely Philadelphia problem. I think it has been much less of a problem this season, as you said, Lucas. And really, like, with how this season has played out in the East, both Brooklyn and Milwaukee have done their fair share of playing down to teams. The bottom of the East has been a mess all season. You know, Boston and Miami have been playing, like, under teams for for good portions of the year. Those were teams that a lot of us thought were going to contend coming into the season. So I'm really not worried about one sort of fumble down the stretch of of a random game against the Pelicans. They they did still win. They have now won eight in a row. They have a three game lead um, over Brooklyn for the one seed. They're they're riding in a pretty comfortable spot right now. 
I, it's not something to worry about, I don't think. Embiid, again, just a phenomenal game on his part. Um, Tobias had some big shots, as we, as I said. A near triple-double for Ben, only had eight points, but 10 assists, nine rebounds, a couple steals. One of George Hill's better games as well. He's still obviously maybe taking a little bit longer than we would have hoped to get acclimated to the system and to the rotation, but I continue to believe that he's going to do big things for this team. Um, down the stretch and uh, you know like you said David a win is a win you know they won eight in a row so I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining so Chris yeah I thought you brought up some really good points in that uh Pelicans game we talked about Joel a little bit at the end of that game but I want to talk more about Joel in particular the the value of his mid-range and post-up game now ESPN's Kirk Goldsberry came up with this interesting little stat here Joel Embiid is posting up as as an individual more per game than 27 other teams are collectively. That is a crazy stat. So let me ask you this, David. What aspects of Joel's post-up and mid-range game do we feel is essential to the Sixers' success? Yeah, it's a crazy stat. Obviously, it's kind of their go-to look at the moment. In, in an era that's been so dominated by wing creation, the three-point shot, a lot of dribbling, um, a lot of space. It's a different look, and it's, look, we've seen it all season. It's hard for teams to guard Embiid when he's locked in. This is obviously the most efficient we've seen him from that high post, that mid-range type of area. Um, But in terms of what aspect of it is the most important, it's just the efficiency. If he's doing that little turnaround mid-range, the little face-up mid-range where he's giving a jab or two and then he's banking it in, it's so hard for teams to guard. They're going to have to start double teaming. They're going to have to start triple teaming. His passing this season from you know the the low block from the post when those double teams come, it's been better this year. So as long as he's being efficient, as long as he's handling those double teams well, you have the shooters on the perimeter in Tobias, in Curry, in a George Hill, in a Dan- Danny Green. Like it's all in place. I don't want to say it's all on Embiid, but it's kind of now on Embiid. Take the efficiency you've done in the regular season in this type of role where Doc's been force-feeding you touches in that high post, force-feeding you touches down in the low post. Do exactly what you've been doing. Do it in the postseason. It's going to wear teams down. There's not a single center in the East or in the West, for that matter, who's going to be able to hang with Embiid you know, if he's getting 20-plus touches a game down in the low post. I, I agree with you, David. Obviously, Joel is pretty much the only player who could even come close to doing something like this and doing it effectively. Um, there's a reason... Most teams don't post up very much. It's just not analytically a very efficient shot for most players. Joel is very special in his ability to obviously draw fouls. His footwork is well beyond just about every other center. Um, and, and his touch has been off the charts this season, especially for mid-range. That's obviously something he and his trainer, Drew Handler, worked on pretty heavily last off season. And like you said, like like he's the centerpiece of this offense pretty much everything goes through him I think Doc has done a good job of mixing up his looks in a way that Brett never really did getting him looks from like the nail and the top of the key and letting him do other things off the dribble that have kind of opened up the floor rather than just straight post-ups but at the end of the day like you said a Joel Embiid post-up is normally a pretty good use of a possession for Philadelphia it's something we're going to see a lot of in close games and how Embiid handles those and how efficiently he continues to do what he's doing in the postseason is really going to be what determines Philadelphia's success. So you guys both made great points, and I agree with them. Uh, Chris, you brought up Drew Hanlon. 
Now, I watched a recently on The Ringer about how Drew Halen, who also works with R.J. Barrett, about how he's helped R.J. improve, and he's done it with other this technique of helping players improve their game this way as well, where they focus on one aspect of their game and work on that one aspect the whole entire offseason. And obviously that's starting to pay off big dividends for Joel's mid-range game, for sure. I, we can all see that. And the post-up is just, it's fantastic either. It's a bucket, it's a foul. Very rarely is it a missed shot. And if it's a missed shot, it's probably just a foul not getting called. Let's be real. The one thing that I will say, and we saw last night in the Detroit game, is that um, Joel Embiid has incorporated another foreign man's top move. And no, it's not Hakeem's dream shake, which Joel has. It's not his best move. It's actually Dirk Nowinski's one-legged jump shot. Joel Embiid is incorporating that into his game. And let me tell you guys something. If that is, if if he can make that his money shot, he's unguardable. Because Dirk was unguardable with that shot. And Joel's starting to get that into his his tool bag. And if he can make that his go-to move, it's he's unguardable in the post in the mid-range. Because he could, if he can hit that anywhere in the post and mid-range... He's already seven, what seven foot, seven foot one. He's in like two sixty, two eighty. He's unguardable. Then he's like Shaq with Dirk's jump shot, basically, and it's it's ridiculous. And Hakeem's footwork, it's it's ridiculous. So if he can do that, I think this, I think the sky's the limit for him for sure. Uh, I also want to bring up this point and ask you guys this: How do you think these aspects of Joel's post game will impact the Sixers' overall success in the playoffs, considering? who they'll probably see in the postseason. Yeah, um, and I think that does kind of go back to that initial point I was making where this needs to be their first look. This is their go-to offense at the moment, right? You have a MVP, runner-up, whatever he ends up winning, that's your go-to offense. I think the important part, and we've seen this before, is if Embiid's post-game isn't working for some reason, right? Like, let's, see a, let's say a team manages to hit him with the double teams, they manage to hit him with the triple having an off night right or maybe he needs to sit out a game we've seen it before what's the backup plan because in 2019 when we all felt really really good about that Sixers roster the the backup plan was Greg Monroe and Amir Johnson and Boban and it wasn't there so I think there's going to be opportunities or moments when Dwight Howard has to come in when Ben Simmons has to become the focal point of the offense so it's moments like those where I'm really interested to see what direction Doc Rivers goes yeah, obviously, Embiid is probably the person I'm most comfortable with on this roster as, as far as postseason performance goes. Um, Tobias and Ben have some pretty big question marks still looming over their their postseason resumes. Not that Ben has been particularly bad. I think he gets a bit of an unfair uh, reputation in that regard. But they, they, there are still some questions both of them have to answer. I think the supporting cast also has to answer several questions. But as far as the, you know, what about Embiid's game is going to be important? Uh, I, I mean, he's going to have to play like the MVP, right? If they want to get past a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn, whether they have to only face one of them or if they have to face both of them, if if he's playing like the MVP, if he's playing like he has all season, they have a real chance. If teams figure out how to defend him more effectively and he starts crumbling against the greater pressure he feels and he starts turning the ball over more, then, like, the Sixers are pretty much screwed. You know, if he's not MVP or MVP adjacent, I, I really don't trust the supporting cast to carry them in the way that I would trust, like, a Milwaukee supporting cast 
or Brooklyn supporting cast, whatever that is, to kind of pick up the slack for their stars. So I, I, I think it, Joel has to be what he's been this season. And if he, he's not, the Sixers are going to run into some real trouble. Yeah, you guys bring up a really good point. What is plan B? And I don't I don't have a definitive one. I think it's going to be based off matchups. Sometimes you can have a Seth Curry night, or maybe Ben just decides, you know what, let, let me do this. I don't trust Tobias Harris in the postseason. He's not had two good postseasons with the Sixers. I've written about this recently, about three players that need to prove it in the postseason. He's he's probably the biggest one. The Sixers are paying him like an all-NBA player, and he's played close to that level this year. Uh, during the regular season, let's be clear, Tobias Harris has put his name into, until very recently with the downtick in aggressiveness, aggression, like he's been playing at a near all-NBA level. I don't think he'll get it this year just because, you know, he's kind of tampered off at, at the, tapered off here at the end. But I think he's proven that he can be a 20-point-per-game score. Now, the question is, can he do it in the playoffs? I don't know. He hasn't proven it yet. Not with us or when he made it the one season. I think, what with was it the Detroit Pistons that he made it with or the Orlando Magic? I think it was the Pistons. That being said, I mean, it's it's a fair question, and I think you guys bring up some really good points. I think it's going to be matchup dependent on who they can go to for plan B, but I this, the fact that it is matchup dependent makes me very nervous, for sure, if they have to go to plan B, and hopefully they don't need to. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a week ago on the Milwaukee pod with, with Jordan Tresky. I mean, like the Bucks are built pretty well to defend Joel in the paint and to throw a big body at him with Brooke Lopez and a lot of length on, you know, double teams with guys like Giannis and Drew and Middleton. Like Milwaukee is certainly equipped to give Joel trouble. And that that's one scenario where I, I really worry about, you know, the supporting cast stepping up. Like, Joel's going to have to own these series. If Joel isn't the best player on the floor in a Milwaukee series, or if he isn't the best player on the floor in a Brooklyn series, if he's not outplaying those other star-level guys, I, I really don't trust Philadelphia's chances. So a lot of this is really going to fall on him, for sure. And, you know, speaking of, of Joel's co-stars, we're going to talk a little bit about Ben Simmons now. I'm going to go to a recent quote from Seth Curry. He said, Ben affects the game a lot more than a lot of guys in this league who are scoring 20 to 25 points a game. Um, from his perspective as a current player, David, what do we make of this statement from Curry? Yeah, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit homerish, but uh, I really, I really, really like Ben Simmons. I, I very much agree with what Seth Curry said. I genuinely believe Ben is one of the best players on the team and probably one of the better players in the Eastern Conference. I've kind of felt that way since he did Sixers. Now, obviously, look, his scoring numbers are never going to be insane. He's probably never going to take threes on a consistent basis. I doubt his free throw will ever get, you know, to, to an above-average standpoint. But I, his defense is phenomenal. His ability to pass is phenomenal. His ability to rebound as, as a guard, in quotations, it, it's phenomenal. Um, definitely agree with Curry. I think you're seeing it this year. When you surround Ben, uh, when you surround Ben and Joel with proper shooting, like really good shooters, like Seth Curry, like a Danny Green, like a Tobias Harris, who's emerged as a really, really good three-point shooter this year, uh, Ben's going to do special things. And on the defensive side, you've seen Ben and Matisse together in a freaking two-three zone, like something teams don't run anymore. Just completely take over basketball games. 
again, this sounds like I've just sat here hyping up Ben and Joel all night long. For the record, I don't think they're going to win the NBA Finals, but in, in a bubble, I really, really do like Ben. I, I think kind of the criticism that gets thrown his way is unwarranted. I think he's been very good this year. I think he was very good last year. I think he was very good the year before, and I think he's going to continue to be you know one of the most important players on this team moving forward. We, we bust Ben all the time about the jump shot, and it's fair criticism, but at this point, we got to acknowledge that Ben is, like I've said before, the best candidate for defensive player of the year. And his passing, and we saw it in that four-game stretch where they didn't have him. They went 0-4 during that time, and you know they, the offense really struggled to get initiated because there was nobody that could do it as well as Ben. And the, the fact that he can push the ball in transition better than... I mean, can you guys think of five guys better than Ben Simmons that can push the ball in transition? I can think of maybe three or four, like two, three or four, but not anymore. You got maybe like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, uh, Damian Lillard, Luca. So yeah, Ben's LeBron. Okay, so but he's definitely a top ten in you know initiating the fast break for sure. I think that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you take those other guys, like Ben is just so unique. Cause unlike, uh, with the exception of LaMelo and LeBron, there's nobody that initiates the fast break at that size. Cause Luca's good, but I don't really see him as a fast break type of guy. He's more of a mid court type of guy. You know what I mean? Um, but my point is this, is that he's really important to their fast break offense. And... <sighs> I think, and then the defensively, obviously, and then just, yeah, he doesn't score, and it's frustrating us for us as fans because we know that he can be the next coming of LeBron James if he wanted to be, but that's not what he wants. That's not his game, and that's okay. We, we might have to accept that at some point, Uriah, but, I mean, we're still going to push for that jump shot because if it happens, it's game over for everybody, but if even if it doesn't, he's very important to this team, and I think Seth Curry's definitely right about that. Yeah, I mean, I I would disagree with the statement that we bust Ben a lot about the jumper. I think you and Uriah bust Ben a lot about the jumper. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, you you know what I when I you know what I mean. But <laughs> I've never said a single negative word about Ben Simmons since uh-huh. I've been writing for the site. I I, I, I know I'm, we're on video no call, but do you guys smell something? It smells a lot like bull coming from your eyes. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. all I'm going to be saying yeah. about that. Hey, I just I just true. like that he's he's starting to shoot more mid-rangers. He's looking more comfortable. If he can, I, and I'll take mid, if he can implement if, that. I'll take I'll take that mid-range jumper. I, if he does threes awesome, but is if he's aggressive attacking with that mid-ranger, then that's good enough for me. If he can implement that, then the Sixers are heading the right direction. David, I agree with you. Ben Simmons is really, I think, underappreciated at this point. He's quite a good basketball player, and he's generally very fun to watch. Um, We can just move to the next quote from Doc Rivers. He said, just because Ben doesn't shoot threes doesn't mean he doesn't create them. He leads the league in threes created before the three-point line was really popular. There's a guy named Magic Johnson. Um, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to compare him to Magic Johnson. I, but, like, just for context, the threes created stat applied last season. It probably applied the season before, too. Ben has been in the top two or three and threes created pretty much since he stepped foot on the floor. That's one of his specialties. So I, I certainly agree with Doc in that sense. 
I, I just wanted to echo what you said earlier about Ben's pretty special talent, David. Um, what are some of your thoughts on that quote from Doc? Yeah, I, I love the threes created stat. Um, I remember when Daryl Morey first took over this team, everybody was so honed in on the idea of him shipping off Ben Simmons as soon as possible, right? Because Morey, you got the Morey ball style of basketball, a lot of threes, a lot of jump shots, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of volume of those types of looks that Ben Simmons doesn't like to take. And I think what people forgot, and I remember sitting in on a Daryl Morey press conference with Daryl and someone asked him and they're like, you know, what's, what's the plan moving forward with Ben Simmons? And, and Daryl almost seemed kind of shocked because you, he, he was so quick to cite the fact that Ben, he, he lives in that analytic world because he generates so many threes. Like somebody has to get the ball to the open players. And we've seen it this season. Uh, now you give him a guy like a Danny Green, like a Seth Curry, and you just see him flourish. And again, I, I, I agree. Not going as far as to call him Magic Johnson. I don't want to get too, too homerish here. But yeah, he's a special talent. He's a great defender. His ability to create open looks for other players is probably second to only, I don't know, Chris Paul at the moment. Uh, you know, maybe LeBron's up there. But uh, it, it's special. The numbers reflect that. And I think when used in the right way around the right players, We've seen it. Ben can very easily be an all-star on a team that's going to finish first in the Eastern Conference, which if this was any other city, if this was any other fan base, like there would be no complaint. If Philly, assuming they don't face Miami or Boston in the first round, Ben Simmons is going to be the second best player on the floor in the first round. If they play Atlanta or New York in the second round, he's going to be the second best player on the floor in that round. Like I, I think we really should appreciate more just how good Ben Simmons is. Like in a Milwaukee series, he's probably the third best player on the court. Um, obviously, Brooklyn's a bit more complicated, but like like Ben's just generally a really solid top 20, 25 player in the NBA. Obviously, he's one of the best defenders on planet Earth. There's a very justifiable case that he should be defensive player of the year. Uh, he, he's probably better than anyone at shutting down elite offensive wings, which is extremely important in the postseason um and when you pair that with all the shots he creates on offense and the fact that when he is getting downhill and he is playing aggressive he's probably one of the most formidable transition players period as as lucas said earlier like, like there's a lot to like there um he, he's had some really good playoff series too like i go back to that miami series his rookie year when joel was missing for most of that that stretch and, and been kicked butt so we've seen him do it in the playoffs before. We, we saw him do it as a rookie. Um, obviously, there were some tougher stretches against Boston, for example. But uh, he was great in the Toronto series, even regarding Kawhi. So I, I'm really confident in Ben, probably more so than the average Sixer fan at this point in the season. Obviously, he hasn't done everything that maybe we would have liked to see this year. He hasn't really taken a step forward. He has even at times taken a bit of a step backward offensively, but the general skill package and athletic profile is there. I think he's a really gifted athlete and I think he's going to continue to do big things for this team. You both bring up really good points and David, I want to let you know that on a fan sighted podcast, it is more than okay to be a homer especially when the coach says it first before you say it. So it's okay to say that Ben Simmons is like Magic Johnson. We accept that here. But more importantly, yeah, I, I think you guys hit it really on the head here that what he does as a playmaker and as a defender kind of it helps 
neutralize the fact that he doesn't shoot. And another thing that we have to, two things that we have to remember is this. The only reason why it's not a big issue that he's not shooting or not being nearly as aggressive is because he's he's been, Joel Embiid's his, his running mate. Joel Embiid's a post player. So having a guy who primarily lives in the post as your co as your running mate when you're not when you aren't an outside shooter is a problem and the media is going to make that a bigger deal than it is. Don't get me wrong, it is a big deal, but it's something that the Sixers could survive and might be able to win a championship. I would prefer a better third wheel than Tobias Harris, but you know, you get what you get. That being said, the other thing that I will say is this. I think that if Ben was like the sole star of his team, I think we would see maybe not Giannis numbers, but I I could see a stat line of like twenty eight and nine or something like that. You know, some 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 near triple near twenty point triple double. I think that would be possible. Maybe something you know, maybe without the bad shot selection of like something similar to Russell Westbrook stat line without the bad shot selection. So, I mean, what he's doing is unique. I don't think that it can be denied, and I think the importance, and, and Doc's no scrub. He's been in the NBA since the 80s. He's seen guys like Magic Johnson, Russell Westbrook, Rajon Rondo, you know, guys that don't have an outside shot that's at the point guard position that can still really impact the game. So I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm okay with the comparison. Yeah, I, like Ben would look really good on that Houston Rockets team right now. It's a shame that we never got to see that um, transpire, but uh, I, 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 yeah, I think he's going to be really great um, in the playoffs. I, I, I don't know, really great might be a stretch, but I think he's going to play his role and and play it at a high level. Obviously, if we get to a Brooklyn series, he's probably going to be spending quite a bit of time on James Harden, who is one of the greatest offensive creators of his generation. Um, so that will be quite fun to see. And we're going to talk more about the the role players, the new role players this year. We got really three good veterans this offseason, Seth Curry, Dwight Howard, and Danny Green. So, David, let me ask you, what do you think their impact has been on the team this year, and how do you think they've helped them? All three have had significant impacts, I would say. I was really excited when I saw this uh, topic that that we were going to discuss tonight because I, I feel pretty strongly that Daryl Morey absolutely fleeced both the Thunder and the Mavericks. I mean, the Josh Richardson in a second-round pick for Seth Curry, that's an, that's an all-time fleece job by Daryl Morey. I mean, Josh Richardson stinks. That dude is not very good. Like, he's he's been horrible for Dallas this year. You log on every night. There's always Mavericks fans. Just wow, David. Him. Wow. He's not, all right. <laughs> he's not good. Um, and then, obviously, you took Al Horford who's been like quasi benched slash like opted out, like slash rested for the rest of the season. You throw a 20, you know, 65 first round pick on him. Bang, you get Danny Green, a three-time champion, one of the best corner three uh, specialists in the league. You add those two without giving up any like real immediate assets. Then you get Dwight Howard, who's straight up a better basketball player than Al Horford. Like I, I am I will die on that hill that he's a better don't know. Oh, hold up, player. hold up, hold up. Chris is about oh, to yeah. get get at you for that one. For what? He's better. You, but Al Horford was fine this year. Al Horford's bad, dude. He can't move anymore. He can't rebound. He can't defend. I, I mean, 
like if, if if you're playing Dwight Howard, the amount of minutes that Horford is is getting for OKC, I, I don't think the numbers would look too good. You know what I mean? I think Dwight would be averaging like thirty rebounds a game. He'd also be averaging like eight fouls a game. Yeah, and like two technicals every night. That's fine. We can we can live with an adjustment. <laughs> no big deal. Um, all right. In in all seriousness, I, I thought all three acquisitions were very good. Uh, I remember when they were looking for a backup center. I was big on like the Nerlens Noel bring him home. Obviously, Daryl Morey made the right decision. Although Nerlens is playing some good basketball, but I think Dwight Howard fits this culture, fits this team much better at the moment. Bringing in Danny Green, bringing in Seth Curry. Um, you know, and look, there were so many people they wanted Harden, they wanted a Chris Paul, they wanted whomever. But I think to go out and just attack the margins the way they did this offseason, I've been very, very impressed with the results. Yeah, I agree. I would have not been mad if they had been able to successfully attack the core and add James Harden or Chris Paul. I certainly think that would have been beneficial. Um, but I do agree that Maury pulled off a pretty big high job with Dallas. Um, like Josh Richardson is a wonderful person and he's fun to cheer for, but I, I think it's clear that he may be overperformed a bit in Miami. Um, that, that, I mean, that's generally how heat players seem to be, um, you know, they, they have guys playing better than they probably should be down there. Um, Danny Green obviously was really more addition by subtraction with Horford, but uh, Green has also just been a really solid player. I think he's better than a lot of people give him credit for. Even now, I think the fan base has come around on him quite a bit since the beginning of the season. Really still a very solid defender despite his age. One of the you know, the highest volume three-point shooter on the team, the most confident spot-up shooter on the team, frankly, which has a lot of value when you... I don't know about most confident, because you got Furkan. All right, yeah, Furkan, whatever. But, you know, when you... <laughs> He's someone who... Furkan ain't never see a shot he doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. But generally speaking, when you're built around Joel and Ben, it's good to have shooters like Danny. And, yeah, I mean, Dwight has been great for the culture. I think that's probably been the most surprising part of that acquisition is just how much he has helped the young guys, how much he has helped the energy in the locker room. And, yeah, he's played really solid basketball, um, especially of late, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast. So three really great moves from Daryl Morey, a really solid first imprint on this roster. The, the James Harden thing really stings, but... And frankly, so does the Chris Paul thing. Now that that report came out about Philly being, you know, in the hunt and then CP3 saying no, that kind of sucks. But, you know, you you take what you can get. You're the one seed. You've won eight straight. The playoffs are right around the corner. I I think you're in a pretty good position. So I think the Sixers are happy with with what they have. So I think it's Chris. I think it's actually Uriah. I think it's that time, buddy. Yeah, our social media question of the week is more of a challenge. And uh, basically, we put it out there for everyone on Twitter and Facebook to try and build the perfect player using the attributes of three different key Sixers. So here are the attributes we have to work with, guys. We have Embiid's postgame, Ben Simmons' passing, Matisse Thibel's defensive ability, Seth Curry's three-point shooting, Maxie's quickness, and Dwight Howard's rim protection. Let's go to Facebook first. So some guy named Christopher Klein tried to be smart and just put Paul Reed. I'm going to ignore that. Uh, Dominic Virgil said Thibel's defense and beats post game and Curry's shooting. 
Broad Street Strong simply said, Embiid can do it all himself. That was an interesting post. If we go to Facebook, I'll just read a quick thread. Tabari Bryant said, Bead postgame, Thibel defense, Curry three-point shooting. James Tatum got into a little back and forth with another uh, follower. He said, why is Ben's defense not an option? Sam Jones retorts, because of Thibel. James Tatum, Ben is a better defender. So I always find that interesting, a little back and forth. Uh, James Tatum said, Embiid's post, Ben's passing, Seth's shooting. Enough from our uh, social media followers. Let's go to David. Uh, which three attributes would you take to make the perfect player? Yes, and this this is a good question. Um, I thought long and hard. I came up with an initial play, and then I switched. Was Simmons passing, Thibault's defense, and Curry shooting? Because I was like, all right, you know, like modern day, need someone who can shoot, need someone who can, you know, play point guard, shooting guard, can defend a little bit. And then I was like, actually, screw that. I'm going full 2K, build a player, uh, create my own hybrid in a lab. I'm going Joel Embiid's post game, Tyrese Maxey's quickness, and then Seth Curry shooting. So I'm, I'm going I'm to be dominant in the post, but I'm also going to be the quickest player in the league while be able to shoot threes. I don't know who's stopping that. Well, how tall is your player? That's what I want to know. No, 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 no. It does matter, though. Is he a center or is he like a power forward? Is he a forward or is he a guard? Um, <laughs> I didn't think that'd be. Um... It is train of thought, Lucas. I know. No, no. It is not outdated. It is not outdated. Not everybody's Poku, Chris. Okay. We need to have some positions lined up for this, at least. Especially if he's throwing those skills together. A clean 6'4, six, 6'5. Kind of like an, an undersized shooting guard who's got a post fadeaway to him. So kind of, also as quick as Maxi. So you're kind of describing a prime Kobe Bryant. That's that's who you're describing right now. And like I mean, he was pretty good, was he not? I mean, I you know what? But he read absolutely correct. He he was the second best shooting guard of all time, which is a pretty big accomplishment considering the list. Yeah, that's 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 my player. I feel pretty confident with him. So. I thought about this too, and I'm going based on how I like to play. So with that in mind, I would take Joel's post game, Dwight's rim protection, and I'm going to go ahead and take Ben's passing ability. I'm like basically the be- a better defensive version of Nikola Jokic. That's 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 what I'm going for. Cause that's the type of that's how I like to play. Is is Dwight that much better? Yes, that's not even a question, Chris. Oh, I I, I think you're really overrating what Dwight Howard gives. No, you. I think I'm not. In come on, Uriah, five. David, come come to my defense on this one. Jokic is like top five in steal percentage. That doesn't mean He's... rim protection. It's the Dwight Howard's rim protection. Jokic is not a good rim protector. Okay, somebody I'm, I'm help me here. Dwight. I'm all in on Dwight. He's he's a goat. Dwight is fine for like three minute stretches when Joe sits, but you no, a perfectly solid forty minute a night like center who can hold the team up defensively. Well, let's see, Chris. Dwight has three Defensive Player of the Year awards, and how many does Jokic okay. have? He's also the answer is zero. <laughs> that those have no bearing on modern day Dwight. Chris, give us your player. Okay, is it my turn? Yeah, it's your point. I thought a lot about this. 
the thing with Embiid's post game that trips me up is I don't know how much that encompasses. Like, are we getting his foul drawing and his subsequent free throw shooting ability too? Does it take into account like his face up game and like his mid range stuff? I, I I don't know. So I'm a bit iffy on that. So I'm not going to take his post game. Frankly, I think Simmons passing is I don't know. I think a lot of it is tied to his athleticism and his ability to get downhill. So I'm not going to take Simmons passing. I'm going to go a little bit new school. I'm just going to straight up take Curry shooting, Feibel's defense, and Maxi's quickness and go for like the next elite one guard, basically, who can defend the crap out of the ball or two guard, maybe more accurately. And who has really long arms because, you know, Feibel has like a seven foot wingspan. Yeah. So give me like, Curry with quickness and some defense. I think that's that's the way to go here. Obviously, I might not have the. I don't know. It, it's tough to build a number one option without Embiid's post game, but I don't think that's a well-rounded enough attribute of his game to really be comfortable taking it. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna go sort of modern day, unlike David and you, Lucas, and I'm I'm gonna go a bit smaller, David. Thanks again for coming on the pod. We really appreciate having you on. We hope to have you on again, probably sometime in the future. Um, if you want to just tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media, where they can read your work, listen to your podcast, just lay it out there. First of all, fellas, thanks for having me back on again. I think the second time was even better than the first time. I had a great time tonight. Um, most most active on Twitter, it's going to be at David Esser underscore. Um, I also run a Phillies podcast. That's at Bullpen Blues Pod if you're uh, into baseball. Um, in terms of my written work, Section 2 and 5, doing a lot of Phillies and Eagles stuff there at the moment, potentially some Sixers stuff here in the future. Um, but, yeah, those are those are the main spots for me. Well, we recommend everyone listening go, go check that out, especially like Section 2 and 5 is a great hub for all things Philadelphia sports. Um, you know, obviously we, we do the Sixers at the Sixers since, and, but they do some Sixers stuff as well. And they have the Eagles and the Phillies and the Flyers. And I know there's plenty of crossover there naturally being that it's one city. So we highly recommend that everyone go check out that side as well and read all of Davis, um, all of David's work. And to all our listeners, we of course appreciate you tuning in and giving us the time of week to talk Sixers and talk basketball playoffs are right around the corner we have some exciting guests and some exciting topics coming up and leave us a review if you can itunes spotify a five-star review if, if, it, if you so please leave us a comment let us know how we're doing let us know what you want us to talk about we'll definitely take it into consideration so thanks everyone and we will talk to you again next week Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.